All right, welcome back to Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We are in partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey Productions, LLC. You're here with co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? Great, episode 42, Andrew. Yes, and today we've got a pretty special guest here with us today. We're pretty excited about ECHL Hall of Famer. Yes, so please welcome Darren Colburn. So Darren played uh, began playing juniors in the OHL for the Oshawa Generals from 1985 to 87. And then for the Cornwall Royals from 87 to 89, and during that time, went on to be selected in the 11th round of the 88 NHL draft by the Detroit Red Wings. Darren turned pro in 91 and went on to play in various professional leagues, such as the AHL, IHL, ECHL, and more until 1999. So please welcome ECHL Hall of Famer Darren Colburn. Thanks for joining us today, man. Boys, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Um, It's an honor. Like I just said, it's uh, anytime you... uh, reach out to a guy that hasn't played in 25, 30 years, it's, it's always, uh, uh, you gotta be humble about it because, uh, if I, if I didn't do anything, then you wouldn't, wouldn't have found me, but uh, I don't know if it was good or bad, but thank you so much. <laughs> I'm, I'm humbled and, uh, I really appreciate the invitation. Awesome. Darren, we're going to take you back here to your junior day. So, uh, you played in Oshawa, uh, and in your second season, you were acquired, uh, by Cornwall, um, after uh, 17 games into that 86-87 season, I, I remember hearing a podcast you were on that um, at that time, Oshawa was just filled with a lot of players. So uh, you might not have got the ice time that you had. What was, what was going through the uh, uh, sort of the back room of why you were moved to Cornwall? Well, again, and... Those days, uh, there wasn't, you didn't have an agent. So I didn't have an agent in junior. Most kids now coming out of junior C have an agent. So uh, I had to do all my own, uh, all of my own uh, speaking, talking to the management and, and, and still trying to learn the game. So after my first year in Oshawa, I learned a lot about the game. I came out of Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. Uh, not knowing a whole lot about the game defensively or offensively for that matter. Uh, I just knew that I, uh, I could, you know, I could play, uh, but I didn't know how well. So I got an opportunity my first year. I played, you know, uh, half the schedule, I guess. And they, they introduced me lightly into the, the rough, tough OHL uh, uh, rigors of uh, nightly, you know, going out there. And if you're not on the top two lines, you got to know what you got to do. And that's go out and play physical. So uh, I just wanted to make sure that I belong. So I went back in my second season and uh, these guys, the Oshawa Generals, were gearing up for a Memorial Cup run. So the Memorial Cup, in for your listeners that don't uh, don't understand junior hockey in Canada, it's 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 one step removed away from pro hockey, pretty much. And junior hockey is where serious hockey players go to, uh, or young hockey players go to uh, learn the game and move on to the NHL or pro ranks. So uh, the Memorial Cup is the highest, uh, the oldest standing trophy actually in uh, in hockey in. in Canada I know that um, and Oshawa was getting ready for a run and they had a quite a quite a lineup of players that have been there for two or three years and plus some great rookies so came to Christmas time I didn't see myself being part of that so I said you know what I'm in my a year and a half here I haven't played a whole lot haven't had a chance to experience what I need to unfortunately I had to go into the general manager Sherry Basson and uh, ask him for a trade and that was tough because um Things haven't changed since 1985-86 that uh, when you go in and ask for a trade, you're immediately blackballed, not blackballed, but just ostracized, put out there until uh, they can move you. That was tough as a 17, 18-year-old, knowing that you belong to a group and then all of a sudden they 
uh, kind of put their hand up and say, oh, all right, well, we don't want to deal with you anymore. We're going to move you somewhere, but it's on our terms. Uh, luckily, I got moved to Cornwall where I got an opportunity to play right away. And uh, if it were all to happen again, uh, I'd, I'd do it the same way. Uh, Orville Tessier was the GM and coach. Orville coached in Chicago, had a great resume, uh, but just a real welcoming um, environment for me because uh, no, they weren't going to go to the Memorial Cup that year, but they had a great tradition and a great uh, a great group that ran that team. So yeah, it, it, to make a short story long, that's what happened that year. And, uh, you know, it all worked out great for me moving forward because I just uh, I just fell right in to that system and uh, Orville did a great job on, uh, on getting me in. So it really takes brass balls as a 17 year old kid to go up to, you know, the adult GM and say, hey, look, you know, whatever, I'm not get the playing time or whatever it is, you know, trade me right now. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't, and, and honestly, guys, it wasn't about being cocky. It wasn't about being, uh, saying I deserve this. I deserve that. Uh, I, I just knew that I wasn't going to get a chance. And, you know, if you're in that league, you need a chance to show and you're there to get drafted. So you need a chance to show what you can do. Um, I think any agent, any father, any person that is supporting a, a player these days now, if it's not a good environment for your future, then why stay there? It's like doing something that you don't want to do. Why would you keep doing it? Yeah. So I said, you know what? I got to get, I got to get, I have to be moved. I can't, I, as much as I want to stay here and be a part of a winning team, it's not helping me if I'm only playing half the games. So again, yeah, it's stung. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, it was a tough pill to swallow because, um, you know, they went on, they didn't win the Memorial cup. They went to the Memorial cup, lost in the championship game. And uh, would I have been a part of it? I don't know. Probably not. But uh I learned a lot from that. I grew up, uh, like you said, whether it was brass balls or just, you know, what, coming to a realization that I needed to do something to further my career and staying in Oshawa just wasn't it. So, yeah, no, uh, I appreciate the, uh, the reference, but it's uh, it was a tough part of my life. I know it's damn, damn tough having to go into uh, an established GM who's got a history, uh, uh, you know, 25, 30 years in the league and telling him I don't want to play for his team anymore right uh, that, that was kind of a shock to him and uh you know a lot of things happened after that that uh, just fell into place for me so uh, yeah I think I'd do it again yeah and it paid off for you well because uh after that year you went on to being drafted in the 11th round by the Detroit Red Wings so what was your draft story how did you find out well I didn't I, I always make the joke when I when I did the ECHL Hall of Fame speech I, I the ironically uh it was it was the middle of winter here so it's in the middle of winter in um in newfoundland and it's you know it's cold down here or up here sorry from where you guys are and i got the call to say that i'm going to be uh inducted into the hall of fame in the echl and i said great i said uh you know what's what's the plan they said well we're going to bring you to orlando florida i'm like you're kidding me and I think it's the best, I think it's the best place it's ever been. Like other, you know, there's been all around, they have the ECHL hall of fame induction ceremonies, but Orlando in the middle of February is certainly a lot better than Cornerbrook, Newfoundland in the middle of February. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I made the joke, I made the joke at my speech that, and, and Jimmy Devolano was this, this, the guest speaker. So Jimmy was the guy that actually drafted me uh, into uh, him and uh, Neil Smith. Uh, so I, I made the joke, Jimmy, when I was up there to say, yeah, uh, I was a steal in the 11th round, but uh, again, I, I didn't obviously didn't I didn't uh, attend the draft. 
Uh, I found out through my agent who I had at the time after I moved to Cornwall, I got an agent uh, who came looking for me actually. So I was kind of uh, humbled by that, that someone would say that they want to represent me to say that I had enough on the ball to represent me. So uh, I got a phone call to say that uh, Detroit was, um, was uh, going to draft me and a uh, little tidbit for uh, you, Mr. Lindroth is uh, that Boston almost took me. So I was, oh. almost, I was almost a Boston Bruin. So uh, they were getting ready to take me, but I think Detroit took me first. And uh, I, I think Boston was the next pick. I'm not sure, 228th, but uh, that was the rumor that Boston was, I was going to Boston next. But anyway, those are days gone by. It was quite an honor. And I got to go to three or four training camps in Detroit. And, um, you know, it was a great experience. Played, played with and against some great players. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, you weren't uh, drafted and sort of forgotten about. You, you went to four training camps, I believe. So Detroit, uh, and of course, they had a great team at that time as well. Uh, I mean, they, they were really trying to put you in the system. And what was it like to be able to compete in these training camps? And what, what was sort of your expectation may after the third or the fourth camp? Well, my first camp was probably my best one. Uh, and I look back on it now, it was, I don't know if it was just bad luck or bad timing because um, Adam Graves was there. He got drafted the year before and they put me on the line with him right away. And um, it, we just lit, tore up training camp and um, we were the top two in scoring in for, throughout training camp. And we played in, in Detroit, uh, they play a red and white game. And uh, we won the red and white game. I think we had a couple goals each and a couple assists or whatever. And um, anyway, we both ended up getting sent down to Adirondack, which is in uh, Glens Falls, uh, New York. And uh, again, started preseason scoring, playing really well. And then as, as the preseason started to end, players started trickling down from the big club. And I wasn't signed yet. Adam Graves had already signed his first round deal. And uh, I was sent to junior uh, in the middle of October, uh, the last cut from the Adirondack Red Wings. So, um, and Gravy, Graves stayed and had a great season there. But uh, going to those camps, it was, you know, your Eisermans, your Proberts, your uh, Rick Zombos, you know, the old names of the past. Uh, yeah. uh, Dougie McLean was there. Uh, Jacques Demers was coaching. Um, my third year, Brian Murray was there. Um, you know, just a great fostering environment. And there were some great players like Peter Klima. I remember Klima was there and uh, they were just starting to make their uh, European movement with the, with Fedorov and all those guys. And uh, uh, the, the, all the, the big three Russians weren't there at that point, but uh, they were, they were getting ready to come. You could tell they were starting to make that European movement. And um, again, I was uh, five foot 11, 180 pounds. And it was, it was the era of the big boy. And uh like I said, you got the Joey Coasters and the, and the Proberts and Randy McKay's guys like that, that were rough and tumble. My job was to go in there, man, and just play hockey and try and score. So I knew what my job was and I did it when I was there. So I just, uh, I just wanted to make sure that I was doing my job. But again, that first year was just bad luck, I guess, bad timing that uh, they sent a bunch of guys down and I got sent back, but they did, like I said, they offered me to come back two years in a row, next three or, and, um, but yeah, my first camp was the best one. And I thought I thought I deserved a uh, uh, contract, but they said, no, uh, we want you to uh, go wherever you're going. We want you to go back and work on your defensive game. 
So I decided to, uh, I went back to my overage junior and uh, went back to the camp again next year and decided to go play college for a couple of years in Canada. So, and they still followed. Like I said, they gave me, uh, even when I was in college for two years, they brought me back to camp. So they kept following, but uh, things just didn't work out. Yeah, so your last two years of juniors, you were at, you were actually lighting it up. You had over 90 points both seasons, and uh, you also maintained over a point per game for 28 playoff games. So at that point, you know, you had your first um, training camp. You had gotten drafted. Now you have two uh, final great years in the OHL. Did you at that point think that, you know, there is a real chance you can make it to the NHL, or what was kind of your mindset at that point? Andrew, I always thought there was an opportunity because once you go to training camp, you're there and you see, you know what, I'm not, I'm not as bad as I think I am. I, I'm just as good as these guys. And when you're, you're a top scorer in camp and that type of thing, guys are actually calling you by name and that you kind of feel like you belong. And, um, you know, it's, it's a pecking order when you go to those camps, you know, they, they all know who the big boys are, the first and second rounders, who they drafted, who the guys that have already signed that type of thing. Cause you're, you're driving around with these guys from practices and going out to eat with them. And they're going, they're, those are the guys that are going to the car dealerships, picking up their new vehicles. And you're going, ah, when is this going to happen for me? No, yeah. like it's, right. you're, but yeah, I, I, I knew it was a quite a possibility because again, I was, I was keeping up with the big boys and, uh, but uh, I guess, like I said, it was the timing of that, that group and that team where uh, I just didn't, I, I didn't fit into their plans. And it's too bad because I would have loved to have uh, given it a shot, even in, uh, even in the AHL. But like I said, I went back and had a great year as an overage in, uh, in Cornwall after I got drafted. And that worked out for the best because that, that was my best year in the OHL. Obviously, I scored uh, 50 plus and had a great playoff. We, we almost... Uh, we lost in the finals to Peterborough to go to the Memorial Cup. So, um, again, we uh, we had a great team. Uh, we had some great hockey players on that Cornwall team with Owen Nolan and John Slaney were our uh, two underagers. So that's not too bad, uh, 16-year-olds there. Plus yeah. we had, yeah, so Matthew Schneider on the point, Maltese, uh, Rick Tabaracci and Nat, uh, you know, all, all NHL players. So um, now it was great, great uh, fun to make a long run in the playoffs. But uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, but again, that's your life. You, you do that and you play and you, you go to a training camp and you, you deal with the big boys and you, uh, when the assistant GM or the GM calls you in and says no, or yes, you are going to do something with you or we're going to send you back to junior or college or whatever. Uh, you just wait for that day and hope that you put it all on the line. So what was it like getting your first pro contract kind of bring us through uh how you found found out? I mean, was it through the agent? Did you, what was the phone call you received? Bring us uh, through that moment. Well, again, starting off, I, I, I left, when I left junior, um, I, I met with the, uh, with, with Jimmy Devilano and Nick Polano in, in Detroit. And they said, Darren, we're not, we're not going to sign you to a contract. They watched me in the playoffs. We had just lost. So that was another kick in the groin there. But uh, they said, no, we're not going to sign you to anything long term. We'd like you to go work on your game. I said, yeah, OK, well, I'm going to go to Acadia University in, uh, in Nova Scotia and, and play. Uh, so I started playing uh, university hockey uh, after two years. And I played real well there. I, uh, you know, I, I spent two years at Acadia. I was an all Canadian, uh, led, led the league in scoring twice. Um, and they just, uh, it just, I, I felt like I was pissing away my, my best prime years at 21 and 22 years old. 
So I decided to turn pro after my second year of college and uh, just wanted to go play in the ECHL. Um, Detroit at that point was affiliated with Toledo. So I got an opportunity to go to Toledo who uh, subsequently Chris McSorley dropped me and sent me off uh, somewhere trying to, I don't know if he was doing a, uh, a favor for someone else, but anyway, I ended up, ended up in Dayton, Ohio, and that's where I signed my first pro contract. That wasn't a big one. Uh, that was, uh, I had to wait three years in order before I went to Europe before I signed my real first pro contract. Um, so yeah, the first ECHL one, you, you work for your money. I'm not saying it's as bad as the, uh, as the minor pro ball players uh, have, but uh, it, uh, it wasn't a whole lot of money, but still, you know what, to get paid for what you're doing still felt pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, no. So the first pro contract was a small one, but still, like you said, you, uh, you get, you're getting money for something you love to do. And that was the biggest part for me. Certainly wasn't millions of dollars, but it, uh, it felt great to get a paycheck for just going out and doing something you're good at. And so kind of a two-part question that first year when you did turn pro, or at least when you were playing the ECHL, you had played in the postseason, played a handful of games. And then it looks like at some point, you were called up to the AHL, you played one regular season game, and then you were right into another playoff series with a different team. So the two-part question is, how did all that come about? And then what was it like playing in two different playoffs during the same season? Yeah. That had to be kind of it's hard so, and weird to adjust all, to. So it's all it's all about moving up the line. So after my first year, I scored, you know, I scored 69 goals in, in Dayton. And that was, I was rookie of the year. So the coach in Dayton, uh, Claude Noel, after we finished our playoff series, the AHL, as you guys know, the ECHL and the AHL are, uh, you know, the ECHL is, is we call it tier two or, or uh, double A and, and the AHL is triple A. So that it's still that way. So uh, Claude called uh, Ron Smith in Binghamton, New York and said, uh, Ron, we got a guy who can score here. I think you should really have a look at him to bring him in for playoffs um, so I played, uh, the last, I think last regular season game, actually it was in Baltimore. I remember that and, uh, ended up scoring a goal and assist. And that was my first actual AHL goal and assist. And, uh, then, uh, I went to Binghamton for the playoffs after that first year and waited, uh, two series and I got to the finals uh, or the semifinals against Rochester. And Ron says, Darren, you're going to play tonight. And this was in game five. So game five of the semifinals. So I'm like, okay, perfect. So I ended up actually scoring a goal, uh, played on the line with uh, Scott Stevens' brother, Mike. And um, I think it was Chris Chahaki. He probably still coaches down in your neck of the woods. He uh, coaches in the ECHL, I think. But anyway, yeah, it, uh, throughout the year, there's teams in the IHL, AHL. Uh, when you're in the ECHL, they want to call you up and say, okay, we're short. We hear your coach is high on you. Uh, would you mind coming in for a game or two with us? Or it might be a month. You don't know. So, uh, yeah, I did that. I think I, I might have been Kalamazoo. I would play. Would have played a game with that year. And uh, the next year after my first year, I signed a contract with Peoria in the uh, IHL. Uh, and, again, played sparingly there as well because they just didn't, uh, you know, Myself and the guy, uh, Peter Kozowski, uh, signed out of uh, Dayton and we just never really got a, uh, a shake there. Yeah, and so you had mentioned uh, 69 goals. And uh, for those that don't know, as soon as I saw that number, I had to go look at the ECHL uh, record book. And uh, I saw the results for the top five goals by a player in a single season. And uh, Darren, by the way, holds uh, the number three and four spot for two separate seasons. But, Darren, I noticed the top five spots still held to this day 
um, for that record are occupied by players that played between 1989 and 1992. And, you know, we're talking to a lot of these old players. You know, I was born in 96. So I don't really know too much about the history of hockey. I wasn't at those games. So I don't necessarily think of incredible finesse hockey in the ECHL back in the day. So was there a lot more players just scoring goals in the league? Were the goalies bad? I mean, maybe they just good players. Yeah, no, no, and, and Andrew's right. Uh, again, I, I did it. I, I scored 69 in 91, 92, and I also scored 69 in 94. So after my the second time I did it, um, the second time obviously was harder because it was a better league. Every year that that league ticked one into the record books, it got tougher to play. And it was a, it was not, it was a tough league and it was, it got better as we moved into the nineties. Uh, the players that did it were great hockey players. They were all drafted. They were, uh, had their shot at the NHL. Like you look at Trevor Job and Billy McDougal, uh, both those guys played in the NHL actually. And, um, after their, after their, uh, stint, uh, you know, they came back and decided to go th- for whatever reason. Uh, but trust me, those guys could still put the puck in the net. And in the ECHL with a limited roster, uh, when you're one of the better players, you're on the ice every third shift or second shift because uh, coaches want to win and they're, um, you know, they're putting you out there a lot. So the more ice time you get, the more you're going to score because uh, you're not always on against the first set of D. Sometimes you're on against the third set of D. And uh, that's the way good, good hockey players deal is that, you know what, you match lines, you go against the third line. Uh, you've got a good first line. Uh, a lot of times you can light up the other team. And that's, I know that's what Joe, Trevor Job did. I know that's what Billy McDougal did before me. Um, uh, I was lucky enough to play on a good line where two good lines, uh, the two years that I did it, that uh, I had a great centerman, just moved the puck well. And I benefited from him. He benefited from me. You know, his, their stats, uh, we kind of mirrored each other. In 92-93, you traded to Richmond and uh, with the Renegades. And then at some point you make your, like you talked about, uh, but uh, first half dozen appearances in the IHL with uh, Peoria. So you racked up 79 points in 61 games that season in the ECHL. Uh, And then you were assigned to the IHL. Now we've heard stories of the IHL around that time of being sort of the renegade league uh, and sometimes paid really well. Sometimes even I mean, paid better than the AHL. What was your experiences with the IHL? So yeah, you're right. The, uh, the IHL was was kind of this. Uh, it was another older. When I say older, it was is a chance oppor- opportunity for older players to keep playing pro hockey. Guys that had signed NHL contracts had maybe had just fallen off their contract, and now. They were a little bit too old, but still good hockey players, but not to play in the AHL because the AHL was the number one uh, development league for the NHL at that time. So that's where you would send your first, second, third rounders after they were drafted and let them develop in the A. The IHL was more of, like you said, a renegade league where it was more about not affiliation, but more about independent. And the teams like the Chicago Wolves, um, the San Diego Gulls, these were all top-notch teams Uh, in the IHL that basically had all free agents. So some of the teams, some of the teams had, um, you know, players that were affiliated with NHL teams, but very rarely, those were mostly in the AHL. So again, and that just goes to show that the AHL now is a big league. The ECHL is a big league. The IHL went defunct because they just couldn't keep up the paychecks. Yeah. 
and and a tough league too. I mean, uh, we had uh, on Darren Banks, former Boston Bruins and uh, IHL Detroit Viper. Yep. So if he was in that league, it was a tough league. Yeah, yeah. I played roller hockey against Banks. You know, he never had the opportunity to be uh, as tough as he could be in roller hockey, but he certainly carried a, a, a heavy fist wherever he played. Yeah, uh, great guy. Uh, you know, just a, a superb individual and. and uh, a great teammate uh, from what I've gathered. Cause I, again, everybody knows each other in, in, in this, these uh, circles. So, uh, but again, he's uh, yeah, he, uh, he was only one of, one of many that played in that league, the top Oroski boys, uh, Justin Peoria alone. Uh, we had uh, Bob Fleming, um, you know, uh, Darren Langdon actually came with me to Peoria for his first training camp. And that's where he started. And he had to fight every meatball in camp before he wow. could go back to Dayton. So, Again, no, it was drop them, line up, and drop them again, and uh, that's the way it was. But again, you know what? Tough guys fought tough guys. You didn't. Uh, uh, it, there was kind of a code. Uh, I'm not sure if that exists anymore. Uh, again, and again, I, I know the game has changed, uh, but to say to take fighting out of the game is uh, is good for the game. Uh, there has to be some repercussions, uh, I think, in the game because uh, if not, someone doesn't have the big bomb. Everyone's going to run around doing what they want, right? So well, again, yeah, I mean, ask, uh, ask Reeves why he's in New York. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So no, there's, they, I think they, uh, every team needs not necessarily as we would call a goon, but they need someone who can put the hammer down when the time comes to say, okay, guys, we've had enough. Yeah. And you know, Darren, you, you also threw down the gloves a couple of times too in your career, even though you were a goal scorer and, uh, you know, I did notice there was one season, I think it was the following season after you played in the IHL, you'd recorded 104 points in 100 penalty minutes. So, uh, I mean, did you have to defend yourself a lot more that season? Was it just a couple of yeah, couple misconducts? A couple misconducts. misconducts to get on the old score sheet? No, no so <laughs> back then the 10 minutes didn't go on your score sheet. So they were legit. Right. I, I, and I don't want to say there were 50 tripping penalties either. <laughs> <laughs> But again, you know what, guys, if you if you were to check the stats of that Richmond team, I think we probably had one of the toughest teams in the league that year because everybody had some big, tough boys. And there were some there were some heavy penalty minutes on that team. So my hundred, we had a couple of guys that had over 300, 400 penalty minutes that, uh, you know, they were big, tough dudes. And when we walked into Hampton Roads or Norfolk, as, as it is now, uh, you needed that five or six guys, not just one or two. You needed five or six to say, well, these two guys are gone to the dressing room. We need three or four more to back that up because every rink was tough to play in back then. And uh, you know what? When you got big guys around you, you get a, you grow another set of balls. And you're, you know, I'm not saying that I, I wasn't tough, but uh, I, I played the game and I had to take smacks. I had to do this and that, but no, I wasn't a fighter. But you know what? I had, I've, I've had to drop the gloves before out of necessity. Uh, but uh, again, at the end, it's 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 survival, and if you don't, uh, you're going to get shit on big time. And it's not yeah. something that uh, you know you can be called a pussy, you can be called everything in the book. But again, at the end of the game, you just got to be uh, you know say you know what I I stood up for my my teammate or I stood up for myself. That's all you can do. Uh, again, whether you win or lose, just just show up. Yeah. You end up spending two seasons in Germany over there. So how? Uh... How were you contacted to go play over in Germany? And uh, what was that experience like? It's pretty cool, actually. Um, we, after that year in uh, Richmond, uh, like I said, I uh, had a great year in Richmond. And they actually contacted me to say, we've got some interest in uh, 
in uh, Western Germany, which is in Duisburg, which was Division Two. It wasn't the, fir the first league, but still a great contract. Uh, and the great thing about Germany was they took care of everything. There was no taxes. Um, everything he made was net. So, and I'm not uh, afraid to say that because that's the way it is. They pay their taxes for you. And as long as someone pays the taxes, you get it. You get yeah. money, right? But, yeah, exactly. Uh, took care of us. Um, myself and my wife went over there. Uh, we had a great season and a half. Uh, things kind of fell apart in the second season. Uh, differences with management, that type of thing. And I got a call from uh, uh, Raleigh to come back and be a player assistant coach. So, uh, but yeah, no guys, Europe was amazing. It was a great cultural experience. Um, it wasn't the rigor of, of playing five, six nights a week. It was, you played on Friday and Saturday. That was it. And wow. the rest of, rest of the week, you know, there, there was training, obviously, because they had a, a Czechoslovakian uh, coach, um, Edo Novak, who played with a Czech national team way back when. Um, and he liked his training and stuff. But I was, I was in good shape when I was over there, so I didn't piss him off at all. I was, you know, I was one of his first guys to get to the gym or get to the ice, that type of thing. So, again, when you treat a coach right – he'll treat you right. I think and that's the way it went over there. And then things kind of fell apart in the second year. And I said, you know what, it's been great, but uh, I think I'm going to go back to North America. And again, it was another great move because I had an opportunity to become a player assistant coach and make a lot more money in the ECHL. And I moved to Raleigh and Raleigh was a great place. And I stayed there for a couple of years. And uh, my brother actually lives in North Carolina, just outside Greensboro. And I got to see him a fair amount, him and his family. So it was good. It was a great, great move for me. Awesome. Yeah, so Darren, obviously, I, I love stats and the numbers and everything. I so. can tell Andrew. I can yeah, tell so you Andrew. Andrew's a stat guy on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, I didn't play, awesome. so I'm actually yeah. the stat couch guy. <laughs> yeah. So, Elite Prospects, Darren, was the only place I could actually find right away your stats from Germany. Yeah. You put up 75 goals and 144 points in 37 games that first season. Did you ever get bored? Did you ever feel bad no, for so, averaging so I think points? I, I see. Andrew, I think that elite prospects thing, they, they, they said it was 37 games, the score 75 and 37. There's some game, I think there's some, the part of their schedule is missing there because we played close on 60 games that year. Okay. Uh, so I don't know if it's just the, the, what we would call their first league uh, tabulation of what they had. We played close on 60 games. So I don't know because there, there's also in, in the stats, there's there's a year missing of me playing college hockey at, at Acadia. So yeah. sometimes things fall through the cracks and, you know, you can find stuff. But I, I know Elite Prospects does have that there. And I was like, now that makes it sound like the league was a total joke because it was. <laughs> it was it was a good it was still a first league in Germany. And there were other pros there that, that scored a lot. But that was not in 30. Would you say 37 games? Yeah, that's 37. Not, that's. Yeah, that sounds like more like road hockey statistics rather yeah. than. Yeah. But again, I, we were close on 55, 60 games that year. Somewhere along the line, the, the games played got screwed up somewhere, I think. And uh, that was more it was more like 70 something in 60 games, I think, because, uh, you know, scoring two goals a game, that's a little bit embarrassing. That's, uh, but there's somewhere along the line that's uh, that that something got missed, I think, in the in the games played tabulation. So before we get to your, your retirement and we, we talk about what it's like to be inducted later on in the uh, ECH Hall, Hall of Fame, we talked briefly off air about the, uh, um, the, uh, the, the old, uh, what do we call it, the IRL, the uh, Roller Hockey International Hockey League, which you did during the summers. For, what did you say, Darren, six or seven years? Yeah, well, our coach in, in uh, Richmond, Roy Summer, he, uh, he was from the Bay Area. 
And uh, after my first year in Richmond, which was 93, 94, maybe, does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. So he said, guys, he came into our dressing room. He said, uh, guess what? We're starting a new league and it's going to be on the West Coast. Uh, part of it's going to be in Central. Uh, we'll play mostly West Coast teams. Who's interested in coming and trying out to play roller hockey in, uh, in San Jose this summer? I put up my hand right away. I said, who wouldn't want to go to San Jose? Because, again, I wasn't under a contract with any NHL team or anything. I was a free agent. So I said, hey, great cultural experience. So that summer ended up going over there and I was one of his top players. So I kind of had a shoe in for the for the job. And uh, we played right out of the uh, Shark Tank and Anaheim was our big uh, our, uh, our big rival. And we played right in the, the Duck Pond at that time, it was called. So all NHL arenas it was pretty cool. And um, I loved it. So I think I played five seasons. I think I might have jumped the gun on how many I did, but I played another uh, year of uh, roller, uh, sorry, Major League Roller Hockey, it was called. And that was a different league. It's another spinoff league. But uh, I played that year in L.A., so I was in Anaheim that year, and we won the World Championship there. So I won, I won two World Championships playing pro roller hockey, and I won an international championship with Team Canada in 98. And uh, for trivia for Andrew here, he um, played on a team that was the last championship Alan James won in, in Montreal, the Montreal Forum. Oh, okay. back in, so I think it was 95, right, Darren? 95? Yeah. So, Andrew, the, the, the trick part of this is that everybody talks, they, when they think of uh, the, the last trophy ever won at the Montreal Forum, obviously they think of the Stanley Cup. So, the last Stanley Cup ever won at the Montreal Forum uh, would have been in 94, I guess, because the Canadians went in 93 or 94. I can't remember. Somewhere, anyway. one of those. Yeah, years, somewhere. Right? Anyway, everybody's, oh, it was Montreal. And the, no, it was the San Jose Rhinos in September 1st, 1995, because that was the, the Patrick Murphy Cup was the, uh, uh, the last, not Patrick, uh, Dennis Murphy Cup was the, uh, was the last trophy ever won in the Montreal Forum. So it was pretty cool. It was 12,000 people in that building that night. And uh, it went to what's called a mini game. So we won the first one in, in San Jose. We then had to go to fly to Montreal for a possibility of two games. They won the next one and it went to a 12 minute mini game. And we ended up winning in overtime. And uh, the rest I can't remember because we were downtown Montreal for 12 hours. And, that was <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, that's probably good. I can't remember. So that's. Uh, <laughs> So up until your retirement in uh, 1999, you just dominated the ECHL in every facet. And then later you were recognized and inducted into the ECH Hall of Fame. So explain us, first of all, um, when did you get that call? How did that come about? And of course, what was it? What's it, what is it like to be inducted into a Hall of Fame? Yeah, it was pretty cool. I must say Brian McKenna called. He was the, uh, the commissioner at the time. And um you know, after spending so many years in that league and uh, seeing the guys that uh, you played with and played against, uh, whether it was uh, on their team or in the all-star games, that type of thing, uh, getting honored uh, to go into a Hall of Fame, like I said, for someone to think that much of you to say, we're, we want to put you in our Hall of Fame, um, it's just an honor. And I, I, you know what, guys, I don't care if it's the ECHL, the IHL, the AHL, it just means you had a part in growing that pro, that, that league and that's what it meant to me. Uh, again, all of the, the statistics and all that stuff that, yes, that was all part of it. But just the fact to say that you're not that big of an asshole that they, they don't want to include you in your, in your hall of fame, because uh, just to say, 
you know, thanks, thanks for being a part of what we've built here. And the ECHL right now, as you guys know, and you've seen, it's a great league. Yes. Um, and it's, it, it helps younger players, players that still want to play the game, but also they put a ton of hockey players in the NHL every year. So yes. it's not, it's not just, uh, you know, I was part of the, I guess the, the early part of the ECHL and I played through the middle of it and I played through the latter part of the nine, the nineties, but, um, where it was very competitive and we had all pro players on our teams at that point. Um, and you know what, I held my own in the late nineties, still scored 30, 40 goals here and there, but, um, you know, it's just a complete honor to be, to be asked to say, would you like to come and be in person at, in Orlando, Florida to, uh, to accept your ring and your plaque to be in, inducted into the hall of fame? I said, are you kidding me? Like, it's like, you do you think you had to ask, but uh, no, it was great. It was, it was such a great feeling. And you look back on it and say, Oh my God, like uh, it's humbling to said, to think that someone would uh, want you to be a part of, of a limited, such a small limited group that they're going to honor. So yeah. Beautiful. So Darren, before we get into our lightning round questions, which my father will explain just a moment for our listeners and ourselves as well. What is Darren Colburn up to nowadays? Well, man, um, I'm still doing a little bit of coaching myself. I here in, here in well, Newfoundland, uh, hockey is, is 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 big. It's you know we don't get. Uh, I don't know if I think this is the first year in a lot of years that uh, last year, uh, young Alex Newhook from uh, St. John's was in the NHL. He played a little bit in Colorado. Um, we had a couple of kids drafted in the first round. So Newfoundland is starting to come back on the map uh, for, for hockey, for NHL hockey. You guys, uh, James, you remember Michael Ryder. Michael Ryder was the first big one. Uh, Danny Cleary, uh, those guys won Stanley Cups. Danny with Detroit and, uh, and Michael with Boston, of course. Yeah. Uh, right? Yep. So, uh, but me, I'm, I'm coaching a bit. Uh, believe it or not, I'm 53. I'm still playing baseball and I'm playing competitively and play my, uh, our league here is a, is a senior league, which is 18 and over. And I still play cause I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm still able to get around out there. I've, uh, you know, I've battled weight over the years and I've got lot, I've lost it and I've yo-yo, but now I'm in a, in a good place where I'm, I'm feeling good about it and having fun and, uh, I'm a territory manager for a, a, a pharmacy uh, ownership. I guess it's a company called PharmaSave, and uh, we're a national chain. And uh, I'm in charge of protecting the brand in uh, Newfoundland and Labrador, which is the province uh, where I live. So I'm busy with work, and I got a, two young boys that are 20 and 24, and a lovely wife. So we're going to finish with a lightning round questions so we're going to put you on the spot and ask you just some obscure questions that are i we think our listeners would enjoy the answer to you can answer with uh, a word or two or if you have a story feel free to share the story we're just gonna uh kind of leave it up to you we're just gonna ask the questions so well as you know james i look as you know by the interview already i'm i'm never stuck for words so it's <laughs> uh, it should be okay i think we'll be all right about lightning i'm not sure though all right here we go what was the craziest ECHL game that you were part of? Uh, you probably know this one already. The night the Lancer Lot Arena crashed in around our heads in, in um, Roanoke, Virginia. <laughs> it was uh, the biggest snowstorm, and I'll keep going, the biggest snowstorm in, uh, the East, on the East Coast in like 40 years. Uh, it was in March, I think, of 93 or 94, Richmond, we were in town. 
and my parents were even there and they couldn't even come to the game. It was that stormy. So we get to the rink and there's like six people in the stands and the Lancelot arena at that time, I think it had a metal roof. Anyway, there was so much snow and ice built up on the roof. We heard a crack in the second period and the beam that was holding up the ceiling started to bow. They said, boys, let's get out of here. We got out of the rink. We got enough time to get our skates off, went out in the bus in our, just in our, whatever we had on our feet. Within a half hour, the place was to the ground. Oh so my goodness. We ended up winning the game six to two by default because it got past the second, the second half of the second period, but the arena, they were done. It was the arena was never, ever uh, used after that because the, the whole ceiling just caved in. Wow, so that was the crazy. Yeah. So you, if you, yeah, you Google Lancelot arena, it'll tell you the whole story and how the night that that happened was incredible. That's pretty cool. Wow. Roanoke. Do you think in the, the southeast that it would uh, wouldn't be like that? Yeah, it was tough. So not in terms of fighting necessarily, but considering all the leagues you played in, who was probably the toughest player to play against on the ice? Oh, Ty Domi, no doubt. Played against Ty for three years, and he was in Peterborough. Uh, I watched him. I watched him fight. And I watched him beat up a lot of my teammates. Uh, I've never ever seen him get beat beat i've never seen him beat let's just right. say that yeah. uh i ended up playing in my last year junior i was an overage i can't remember if ty was an overage he might be a year younger than me uh i got to play with him against him every shift because he and mike ricci uh played on a line together and i was on the first line in cornwall so we battled we were in the same division and we also played against them in the in the finals so um he could play so everybody thought of ty as as a as a, just a meatball or as a as a tough guy he had good hands. He could play, but again, when you're when you're making money to do what you do, he knew what his he knew what his biggest role was. But that guy could play in junior. He could score. He could hit. He could, uh, you know, uh, he could talk a good game too. It was funny. Just, uh, but but again, he showed he never ever dirtied me. Uh, just tough to play against because you just knew he was he was there. Yeah. Uh, you always had to have your head up, right? Um, yeah. Toughest guy to play with, Darren Langdon, no, without a doubt. Darren, Darren and I played together in Dayton, and uh, I watched him pound the piss out of more guys than, uh, well, he came a year at my second year into the league. He came down with me, and I basically pointed fingers at every guy. I said, that that guy chased me around last year. Go get him. <laughs> he didn't have to go get him because those guys came looking for him because they knew he was the new guy on the block, and I just, I just smiled every time because he just pounded every guy that he ever fought. That's awesome. Favorite yeah. arena to play in? Oh, favorite arena. Well, um, it was probably one of the, one of the ugliest ones uh, ever to play in, but uh, I always liked playing in the Richmond arena, the Richmond Coliseum. Uh, it just, it was just one of those rinks that I felt right at home with. I, I don't know, as a, as a shooter, I knew where I was on the ice at all times at the boards around the tops of the circuit. It just felt good. Uh, it was the first real big arena that I played in Richmond had a like head over, 13, 14,000 seats. That's where they used to pl always play the, the final or the sweet 16 in the college basketball. Uh, but I liked that one. Uh, wasn't because of it's pretty. It was just dark and brown. I don't know why, but maybe it was just a, uh, when I used to shoot, the goalie couldn't see the puck from the dark crappy seats, I guess. I don't know, <laughs> but it was a great scoring rink for me. And I just, I love that one. Uh, away rinks. Um, 
again, I did it all, obviously roller hockey was, was awesome because we got to play in all the NHL arenas. So, yeah, yeah. you know, and we always got to dress in the, uh, the uh, visiting uh, dressing room for uh, when we used to go on the road. So, but yeah, Anaheim duck pond shark tank uh, played in the old Vancouver building up in uh, Vancouver, Canada, BC. Uh, that was pretty cool. The Coliseum. Uh, so yeah, any, anything that we played in the RHI, that was an NHL building were always pretty cool. Interesting. So which arena then had the worst ice conditions? It, yeah, uh, minus minus the arena that collapsed. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, actually, you know what? That one was pretty good that night because it was so freaking cold. But uh, <laughs> that's a good any, point. Yeah, any any place earlier in the in my career, it was the ones that were down south, like the the Nashvilles, the Knoxvilles. It was like you were skating in mud. Uh, oh. It was it was just and there was one rink. I think they might've had an iron problem with their water. So they didn't filtrate their water before they put it in through the, uh, on the ice and the, the ice actually looked like it was brown and it was, it, that was, and I can't remember the state of the ice, whether it was quick or slow, but uh, yeah, that one was pretty ugly. I think, I don't know if it was Nashville or Knoxville, but I think they had a real bad water filtration system there. And even though when we used to go, put water in the water bottles and they, the water actually stank when you go to drink it. So we had to bring bottled water to, to the games. It was just, it was brutal. But uh, again, big cities, man, you never know what you're, what you're dealing with. <laughs> What's the most embarrassing or craziest thing to happen to you during a game? Uh, my first OHL game. I've, I've, I've told this one umpteen times. Uh, I was with Oshawa. We were our first game in Cornwall, which is ironic because that's where I ended up playing most of my career. Uh, first shift at my first shift of the game, I was on probably on the third line, went out, we scored a goal. I got an assist on the goal. Uh, I went around the back of the net and who do I come face to face with? But Robbie Ray, Robbie from Buffalo Sabre fame, uh, played with him for two years after loved him as a teammate, but hated him as, and everybody hated him as a guy to play against, uh, ran into him. So this would have been his first OHL fight. So he wasn't amped up at all. And it would have been right. my first OHL fight. So he came out of uh, Whitby Junior B the year before with over 500 penalty minutes, and I came and I came out of uh, Cornerbrook Newfoundland Midget with like I don't know 55 or 60 penalty minutes. So you know who won that fight? Anyway, I can remember going 20 seconds in, going toe to toe. That's all I knew how to do. He knocked me down. I fell and I tripped on my stick, and I had to put my head down what what, what everybody else would call turtling because he just came on top of me with huge hammers. All I can remember is looking and Jim Pack, the guy, uh, Jim Pack was our uh, assistant captain. He was defenseman. Jimmy won a Stanley Cup with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Had Robbie Ray in the net doing the exact same thing he was doing to me for about a minute and a half. And I couldn't believe that I was lying there on the ice covering up and the, he was punching away at the back of my head and nobody, not a referee, a linesman or anybody could do anything to help me because I couldn't get up because if I got up, he would have suckered me and he would have knocked me out. So I had... I would say about 50 lumps on my head that night. Uh, I got on the bus. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. And all the boys said, Hey, way to show up. And I'm like, that's showing up. I said, Jesus, I can do that. I'd, I'd like to win a fight. Not if I can just get my head beat in. But anyway, that was the most embarrassing. And was the first game of my OHL career. Jeez. Toughest goalie to play against. Oh boy. Um, man, they're all, they're, they're all tough at times. Uh, toughest goalie to score on? Yes. Yes. Christ. Oh, that's, again, I've been stoned by every goalie in the league or any, any league I ever played in. 
uh, who couldn't I uh, could hardly get one but I'm just that's that draws a blank for me because it's just I, I looked at the net I didn't see a goalie I just saw what was open but I'm just I think there was a guy in junior played with Ottawa 67s and he wasn't I, I, he never really went on to um, he never went on to any fame or anything like that but his, uh, I'm trying to remember his name. I think it was Scott Cummings or something. But he was, and he was only a little weasel too. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't cover half the net. But he always managed to get something on the puck. And he, uh, but anyway, it, it, he wasn't a pro goalie at that. And I don't know if he ever went on to do anything. But uh, again, I did play against some great goalies. Um, you know, uh, Kirk McLean, Jeff Hackett, Junior. Those were those were our goalies in Oshawa. And I, when I got traded the year after, had to actually try and score on Jeff Hackett. Jeff Hackett was a great goaltender. Yeah. But, so, uh, so top it off for us, Darren, what was your favorite hockey memory from your career? Yeah. Well, boys, that's a tough one. Yeah. That's a real tough one. Anytime you win a championship, I never won any uh, pro championships in ice hockey. Um, I've, um, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to uh, play all over the, all over the world and, and whether it's ice hockey or roller hockey, um, I, I honestly, I, 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 my favorite moment of all uh, was we won the, it was actually a roller hockey. Darren there for a moment. Let's see if we can't get Darren back. Still got me? The internet might have. Uh... Yep, we good? We back? get you back yeah darren i i, I think it might have been on my end i'm at my university oh. office but uh anyway no worries I, get off sorry darren it looks like internet problems on our end so your favorite no hockey memory <laughs> yeah and, and guys uh, it's not it's not an ice hockey moment it's actually a roller hockey moment uh, i had a I had a great opportunity to win a few championships and you know, you, you tend to go back to the places where you, you actually had a chance to contribute, uh, get your team to where they wanted to be and like scoring the winning goal in game seven or something like that or in overtime. Um, it, it wasn't an overtime goal, but it was a winning goal in uh, in Anaheim at that duck pond and almost sold out rink. So um, I, I scored the winning goal to put us into the finals against a team that was highly, highly over uh, – uh, they expected them to go on and win everything and we ended up upsetting them. And then we beat Montreal in Montreal for the, for the championship. Um, that, that was one, that's my, probably my second. The other one would be winning the, uh, the world championship for team Canada in, in Anaheim in eight in 98 and having the opportunity to have my family there. My, my son, who was, uh, who was 24 now, I think he was probably two, he was born in 97. So he's only a year and a half. I got a real cool picture of him and I uh, on the main, screen and at the duck pond and uh, as we were celebrating so those things uh, those get you in the feels man when you got your your little fella there out on the out on the court with you and, um, you know top top five maybe you know uh, scoring scoring uh, getting 50 in the OHL for the first time uh, you know that's that's a, a big accomplishment and having guys on the other team coming up and congratulating you and realizing how big a deal it actually is because it's uh it's a, it's a highly, uh, 
highly thought of league. And, and when you can do that, it, it means a lot. So, yeah. So I think there's, there's, there's a couple or three that are in, in my top, top one, if I can meld them together, but yeah, uh, it's, it's tough to say. Cause like I said, I, I've been at that, was at it for a long time and they all have different feelings about them, but uh, yeah, the family thing is, is always obviously a big, big part of mine. Uh, uh, just, just the pride and, and, and letting your, uh, your, your family see something that uh, you don't always get a chance to see. So. But, uh, no, it was Darren, all fun. The whole, the whole run was fun. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Well, Darren, we can't thank you enough uh, for your time. And hopefully you had a good time. We had a blast. This was great. Yeah, so, we almost made it to the end, too. Yeah, <laughs> almost made yeah, it. No, no, it was guys. It was great for me. Like I said, I love I love talking about it. Uh, and again, uh, you got a you've got a permanent follower from me now. So uh, I can't wait to see what you do next. And uh, I'm going to go back and see some of your uh, your other ones as well, because as I can see that there's a lot of guys there that I played with or against and and uh, especially the last one with Steve Seftel, uh, again, the, the things that he's, uh, he's done and, uh, uh, you know, just, just put the, the emphasis on mental health and that type of thing. Cause I know I've got some buddies that have had a hard time with uh, back in the nineties and the two thousands of when they retired and when they gave up the game. And even while they were playing the, the struggles that they went through and uh, you know, the, some of the addictions and the, you know, just the thoughts that were going through their minds is, uh, you know what? It's it's great to get it out there, and it's it's awesome that he's doing that, and he's put his uh, put his name out there, and it's uh, it's a brave a brave move on anybody's part. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll we'll say goodbye off air, but uh, we'll just pause this recording, and again, thank you for being on. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. Sorry for the technical difficulty there in the end to our listeners, yeah. but uh, that's what happens when you're dealing with the internet connection. Anyway. What a great story. What a, what a great guy. Yeah. This is, uh, you know, the reason why we do this podcast. Yep. Um, never made it to the NHL, but that's not what our podcast is always about. It's right. about the stories about the pro hockey. Well, even juniors. I mean, how many OHL stories have we, you know, listened to on this, on, on our show? So oh, yeah. this is just great. And I forgot about that hockey arena in North Carolina. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Collapsing. Yeah. I forgot about that. I had no idea. So that, he actually crazy. played in that game. ECHL Hall of Fame. Yeah. And again, we're Tulsa Oilers fans, ECHL here in Tulsa, where we live. Yeah. And uh, what an accomplishment for Darren. What a great guy. Absolutely. We appreciate everybody tuning in this week and we'll see you all later. Yeah. We've got more guests on. Um, and, uh, we definitely have Dave Capiano is going to be coming on in the next couple yes. of weeks. I've just got a book with him, get our schedule squared away of uh, his uh, got a big announcement. You could probably go on the internet and look it up if you want to, but uh, we're going to talk about a, a wonderful event that's happened to him and uh, we'll catch you guys later. Thank you for the support. Continue to follow us on all the podcast streaming apps and uh Number two in the UK as we're talking here today. And episode 42. So we appreciate everybody's continuous support. Thank you very much, guys. Have a good day.